Everybody and welcome to another episode of I Only Date Monsters. I am Luna Sophocles, noted monster fucker. And I am Hayden, slightly less noted monster fucker. You're noted enough. You have more social media presence than I do. That is fair, that is fair, but in the sense that I note that you are a monster fucker, you are a noted monster <laughs> fucker. I've been looking uh, over our, our stats for this. I meant to tell you before we actually got into the section but my favorite uh thing is we apparently have uh listeners in croatia like multiple listeners from different parts of croatia hmm there's one of two options for that one is we do have some great listeners in croatia and if so hello welcome welcome to our show from croatia uh very excited to have you listening I often find you submit some very nice things to Eurovision. It'd be nice if you won once in a while. Uh, But the other thing is people might just be using VPNs. Oh, well, I choose to believe that we have actual listeners from Croatia. I choose that too. I'm not saying that's not the thing I want to believe. I'm just saying that that might be part of the explanation. Regardless, hello and welcome to episode three of I Only Date Monsters, a show where we talk about uh, monsters and villains and otherwise non-humans and why we as queers find them attractive. It's but a first, deeply literary conversation about werewolf dick, among other absolutely, things. Absolutely. Hey, we will get there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep threatening it in the best way, but one day we will cover Bisclavre. Okay. Well, that's going to be so, on the list of things I have to experience. Yes. Thankfully, it's just a thing you have to read. So, how have you been, Lou? You know what? Uh, I have been doing pretty good lately. So, peek behind the curtain a little bit. I have been going to therapy. Um, Not just like normal therapy, which I also go to, uh, but I've been going to some group therapy. uh, And an entirely like queer group therapy uh, program. And it's been great. I've gotten some wonderful new skills. I actually managed to not have an anxiety attack yesterday hey. by using my skills. That's it was really great, actually. It was impressive, I'm just going to say. Uh, Those sound like good skills to have. They are. Uh, also, just like practicing them daily by going to this program is really good for me, someone who learns really well in classroom settings. And while this isn't technically a classroom, it's pretty damn close. Right, right. Um, And other than that, I actually want to talk about a show that I watched the first season of yesterday. There's only two seasons. Um, And it doesn't really have anything to do with monsters or villains. Uh, I just think it was a great show. That's fine. Hit Uh, me with it. Sure. So it it is a sitcom called Dairy Girl. And that's D-E-R-R-Y. And Dairy Girls is set in Derry or Londonderry, Northern Ireland, during the 90s. Which means it's set during the Troubles. The Troubles. Do you know what the Troubles are? I don't off the top of my head. The Troubles are the... uh... (laughs) Now look, 
listeners, I'm not a historian, and I'm going to do a very, very, very bad job of explaining the super intricate issues that were happening over there. Um, But, effectively, the Troubles were the incredibly British name for the Civil War over um, Northern Ireland. Ah, yes, that is... When you... When you think of the Irish Rebel Alliance and things like that, like, that's the Troubles. <laughs> that is a very, very British way of, uh... uh of, 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 of hiding the fact that you're in the fucking wrong? Yeah. <laughs> well, among <laughs> like other side things, no- yeah. Right. So, in Dairy Girls, we follow a group of schoolgirls, um, like, early teenage is, is the sort of age they're written for. We follow some early teenage schoolgirls that are living in Derry, Northern Ireland during the 90s. Uh, and what I really like about this show is it manages to never hide the fact that there is this low-grade anxiety in this space at all times. Because if you weren't aware, Hayden, Northern Ireland uh, during this time was just a wash in British soldiers doing lots of checks of people. Yeah, it wasn't a good period. Like it I'm, wasn't a good. Pe- I'm also not super informed about this this historical. That's okay. That's that's absolutely okay. It the the main the main thing that it came down to, and I don't want to say this is the only thing, <laughs> but the main thing it came down to was a clash between Protestants and Catholics. Right. Uh, and the Protestants being the English and also the uh, Irish, like, Unionists, effectively, who wanted to be part of England, uh, and the Catholics who didn't. Um, and that's, again, these are very broad strokes for a very intricate problem, because all politics is intricate. So, don't take this as a history lesson, friends. <laughs> uh, but, in Dairy Girls, we follow these teenage girls... Uh, and like their families as they just navigate still being kids in this period of time. And oh man, it is whip smart. I have never belly laughed that many times while watching a sitcom, at least not in a long time. Um there to give you an idea of like some of the plots and the way that they sort of juxtapose the sitcom with the with the situation. Yeah. The opening episode, the pilot. Part of the conflict revolves around the fact that the girls can't take the normal bus they take to school because a bridge has been bombed. Right. Which is a fully acknowledged fact, and the anxieties of that kind of stuff come into play. But also, you get at this sort of thing of, like, when you live in that for so long, you have to just sort of make the anxiety part of your mundanity. And not saying that's good, but you see that happen. But also... (laughs) This first episode includes the five girls, or the four girls and the one guy, almost getting uh, in trouble for the fact that while in detention, the nun that's watching them dies. (laughs) What? Because she's 98. (laughs) Oh. Um, And it's just, the writing is incredibly smart. The jokes, it's not that they come out of left field, it's just that. They really commit to whatever joke they're doing. Uh, And I appreciate that in a show. Mm. It's just, it is six episodes the first season. I haven't watched second season yet. 
But the first season is a masterclass in how you just set up tone and you can talk about important things while still having humor attached to mm. it and having an economy, an economy of actions that tell a lot more about people. If that makes sense. Uh, I think it does. I think like I the, grasp the plot, what you're the, saying. The plots are never terribly contrived. It's just those. It, some of them come down to situations where just the inherent dark magic of coincidence comes into play a lot. Uh, and I really appreciate it. So if you're looking for something fun to watch, that still like gets at some interesting topics or gets at some serious topics without um, being quite so like hard about it. Uh, Dairy girls. That's D E R R Y girls. It's on Netflix. I, uh, I will look into that. Um... It's, it is three hours of just like pure enjoyment. I had some of the most fun hanging with those characters for like, <laughs> I'm going to do one. I'm going to talk about one more scene and then we can move on. And you, can cut, <laughs> you can trim this fucking down real hard. Okay. Okay. There is a, we meet a character named Colm who is a, an uncle of the, of our main family. Right. And Colm is set up very quickly to be the t- type of person who just talks for hours about mundane things. Like the the oversharer, but like in a very, very dry way. Oh, I love that, actually, as a character. But they juxtapose that with the fact that he, when we meet him, he was, he had his van stolen and he was tied to the radiator with his shoelaces. Like he was robbed, effectively, by by some some group. But then we cut to him coming over to the house and doing the most uninteresting explanation of what should be an interesting story. And watching the entire family slowly, like, melt into their chairs because he keeps getting off on, like, which of the two dudes was taller. (laughs) Is, like, that's, it is a perfect example of how it rides the line between the anxiety of the troubles and the humor of just being a human being. I, I really like that. Um, so, Dairy Girls, go watch it. So, hey Hayden, how are you? Hey, um, I've been pretty good. I have had a very busy, uh, couple of weeks? I guess it's yeah. been a couple of weeks since we recorded last. Sort of, yeah. I mean, like, we, we recorded an episode before you went to Gen Con. Yeah. You, know, you went to Gen Con, and then, you know, we haven't, like, missed a week. But yeah, it's been it's been a bit more than we usually would have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I went to Gen Con, and that was really fun. I got to hang out with, like, eight other friends of mine. Um, Yay! Got to see... Uh, the... Right before I went to Gen Con, uh, you, you helped me with dyeing my hair, and I got my mohawk, uh, trimmed, so it was nice and clean for the, uh, for the con. Nice. You want to look good for those board games. Oh, Yeah. Um, it was really funny though, because I would just be walking around the convention center in uh, Indianapolis, and every now and then I'd just see someone, and they had they had basically my hair, like mm-hmm. maybe a different color or a slightly different cut, but like basically what I have now. And I would still feel those pangs of jealousy of like, oh, I want that haircut. Oh wait, I do have that haircut. <laughs> Wait a minute, I've solved this problem. <laughs> yeah, but that was really fun. And then um 
it was just really good to hang out with a a big group of internet friends and like one of them's in Boston, but I I don't even see him as often as I <laughs> probably should. Uh, Look, believe me, I understand entirely about seeing your internet friends, even if they live very close to you. Yeah, it was it was just cool to uh, see some of these people in person for the first time, and then catch up with others after like not having seen them for years, basically. Nice. I got I had a few friends that also went to Gen Con, and so I got some really great. Um, different perspectives on like the cool shit there yeah. uh, what do you think were what were some of the things that you really enjoy like what let me rephrase that what were some of the things that really stuck with you whether it's like a single game or like you read about or heard about a, a tabletop system or whatever um well the the first thing we did when we got there was uh called tactical laser tag and like you know, if you've you've played laser tag before, you have like the big thing on your chest and just like the the little guns that you shoot wildly with. This wasn't like yes. that at all. Oh, great! We had like laser rifles, and mm. we had scopes on them, and you could line up the dot, and the laser would hit exactly where the dot was lined up with Holy through the shit. scope. Um, but all of the targets were much smaller, and like. There was, like, a target on a person's head and then one on their gun. And so you had to line up your shot, and you had to basically do it from cover so that they couldn't see you were shooting them. And uh, So it, it, it was laser tag for people that, like, really can't be arsed to run. Oh, running... Which speaks to me. Which speaks to me. Running wasn't allowed, but there was quick walking, and I was definitely... We were all out of breath by the end of it, for sure. Hell yeah, you fucking speed walked <laughs> Um, that was really fun. Um, the last thing I really did was a vampire LARP. Um. Ooh. Yeah. Like, like the masquerade? Yeah, exactly like the masquerade. In fact, it was the masquerade, so. Very much like it. Um, Were you a vampire? Were you a vampire? I was. I, um, decided to just, uh, get a character sheet there and, uh, build it on the fly. And all of my friends decided to do the uh, Anarch Free Press, which is like the only vampire newspaper, um, and it's run by anarchists. And of course. I don't know why I didn't get in on that, because that's very much me. Yeah, but to say that that's like 100% your wheelhouse. In, instead, I was a um, vampire who was turned when he was 16, and it was uh, the Malkavians, I think, who always are like basically insane. Yes. And um, so I decided that my thing was going to be that I was always running for student body class president. At all times. At all times. And so because I was just, six... I was working I the floor. That. I was getting people's votes. I was promising changes in the lunch menu. <laughs> and then, and then someone found me and um, so someone with like, a little bit of extra ambition and more social skill than I personally possess. And yes. um, by the end of the night, I was running for uh, actual human governor of the state. Good. And I had a campaign team and a platform and a head of security. <laughs> Hayden the vampire, colon, actual human. <laughs> <laughs> it was... It, it just got out of hand very quickly, which is that fantastic. Sounds, that sounds like the right way to play a LARP. 
Yeah, it was fun. I I roped in some some poor fool who was like his character had all of my values but none of my character's values, so I corrupted him, which That's I felt good. real bad about, but <laughs> eh, it's Vampire the Masquerade. It's it's fun playing characters who aren't you though. I really enjoy yes. that. Absolutely. Like I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last night about um and we'll probably get into this in future weeks, but just as like a quick thing. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last night about why he doesn't like to play Call of Cthulhu because he feels like it's ultimately a nihilistic game. Uh, and I, surprising even myself, came out with a really interesting take on the fact that Lovecraftian stuff is only nihilistic if you're writing it from Lovecraft's point of view. <laughs> I, I want to talk about this next week after I've run, because I brought back... Call of Cthulhu and uh, Pulp Cthulhu, which is an expansion for that system. Yes. Um, and we're going to be playing that next week. We um, are. So, it's a little hint at what we might be talking about. So but I do yeah. want to come back and talk about my thoughts on uh, Cosmic Horror and uh, Cthulhu, the Cthulhu mythos specifically. Same. <clears throat> but Incredibly same. But I, for now... I have some thoughts on it. But yeah. But for now, let's... Um, Let's talk about what we're actually going to talk about today. So today we are talking about the Lion King, and specifically, we're gonna we're gonna be focusing on Scar. <laughs> and uh, uh, Lou, what is? Tell me about sort of like your your experience or relationship to to this character or this film. Uh, briefly, oh, if you got one, man. So I assume you do. <laughs> I have, I, I, yes. So, full disclosure, I, The Lion King was not my, like, furry bait of choice. Um, for those who didn't pick up the fact that I went to Anthrocon, I am a furry. <laughs> uh, among other things. Mm. And, you know, there are a lot of sort of, what's the, <laughs> what's the term in the Manchurian Candidate for, like, an activation phrase <laughs> the code phrase or the yeah like you know well, that they thing use that... like playing cards whatever it is right there are different things that are like different people's furry activation phrase <laughs> yes yeah um lion king was not that for me but lion king is still a very uh important movie to me i watched it a lot as a kid uh it was definitely one of the disney movies i listened to a lot like as a soundtrack when I was younger, um, I specifically remember us having like both the normal soundtrack and the one that had all the Elton John versions of the songs. <laughs> where of he course. changed, where, like where there's like different lyrics because he can't sing about being a lion, so it's like the Elton John's version of "Can You Feel the Love Tonight" is way more like a fucking adult contemporary ballad. <laughs> Interesting. I don't think I've heard the Elton John versions. All I know is that the first line is, there's a calm surrender to the rush of day. <laughs> Which is not the line from Can You Feel the Love Tonight. No, it's not. Um, so can, anyway. We can talk about that song in a second. We will. Because even though we're talking most about Scar, I think it's worth talking about the entire movie in brief. But um, I watched a lot as a kid. I really like Scar as a villain. Um, I think he's one of the more compelling villains and like all all critique about 
about fucking uh, Jeremy Irons aside, I still love Scar. Yeah. Wait. Um, I I don't know Jeremy Irons' critique. Oh, Jeremy Irons has just said some dumb shit. <laughs> he's not like a total trash bag, but he's like old white dude trash bag. Oh well, everyone says some shit sometimes. Right. Exactly. Like I'm not. This is not a like. And thusly, don't like Scar. It's just like despite the stuff I've learned, I still love Scar because Scar I think Scar speaks to a very specific subset of what it feels like to be queer Um, and let's just like let's let's just cut to the fucking chase Scar in the 90s cartoon film is at least bisexual (laughs) he's yeah, there's there's several like scenes and lines where I'm like, oh, oh, I see Scar, <laughs> I understand Scar a little bit better, uh, having gone back and rewatched this film for this record. Yes, like I think, I think for me, I've I've sort of understood uh, just from conversation around the Lion King that that there is that Scar has been a a queer identified. Uh, villain as frankly a lot of disney villains end up being yes which is very interesting we can get into that but i hadn't i hadn't really watched this movie since i was a kid and um going back and rewatching it for this was uh super interesting and i i really i really came away wishing there had been just like maybe just a few tiny changes to to towards the very end like mm-hmm. scar's got to be defeated but i didn't the fact that towards the end of the movie uh simba comes back and scar has like ruined everything even though right. he it, hasn't it, it... it doesn't ring true to what we see in the early parts of the movie well also right so this is disney doing it's like metaphor thing right yeah but i don't foresee scar Someone who wants to rule the Pride Lands, entirely ruining the fucking Pride Lands. Yeah, and like, there's a drought, there's no rain. How is that his fault? But also... Not to be a Scar apologist here, but... (laughs) Yeah, and the very next scene, like immediately after that, uh, Simba is king. Pride Lands, lush and green again. Right, it's it's that visual metaphor that Disney loves doing. Yes. But when you try to think about it, it's like, I am sure Scar was not the most um, deal-withable leader. I am not trying to say that he was going to be a good king or whatever. Oh, no, it would have, shit would have changed for the worst for some people quite a bit. Yes, but I don't think that, anyway. <laughs> so, um... Here is my main thing as to why I attach so heavily to Scar. And, man, I'm about to, like, slightly romanticize one of, like, the devastating scenes. But if you want a really good idea of why I think queers like Scar so much, and we'll get into Be Prepared, but it's it's the fact that he has no qualms being sassy even when he's about to murder someone he's the delivery of long live the king 
before he throws Mufasa to the wildebeest is powerful in its own way. <laughs> oh, it's it's a strong, strong line, but he puts as much into that line, which is him like reaching the climax of his plan that he's probably been working on for years. Mm-hmm. Um, he puts as much as much as he puts into that, he puts pretty much the same amount into like being sassy with Mufasa for missing Simba to, Simba's coronation or whatever. Yes. And also, I just want to point out, like, is it not the most queer move to like dip out on family events? <gasps> Especially notable notably big family events. Especially notably big heteronormative family events, like oh, fucking yeah. christenings. Which, side note, Disney fucking loves christenings. And effectively, what we watched during the Circle of Life is a christening. Yes. Um, it was also the, the inciting incident in Sleeping Beauty, which I have a whole fucking thing on Maleficent. We'll get to that shit. But, like, yeah, to, like, be like, you know what? No one fucking here is worth it. I'm gone is a very queer thing to do. I think in a different world, Scar would have been a, like, very good asset to that family. But again, I, I we, think we, we, we don't particularly know why Scar, like, gets maligned. Well, I think, because this is, this is sort of a thing we see very much in the early part of the film, mm-hmm. is that uh, Mufasa really talks down to his brother, and Simba's a brat. Yes. Simba's a straight-up brat throughout the entire first act of this movie. And you know what? That's that's fine. That's good. That's Kids are brats, one. Two, you need to grow to have a character arc, so having him start there makes sense. Mm-hmm. But from Scar's perspective, all he sees is, like, a king-slash-brother who jokes about making him into a throw rug. And then uh, a bratty little child who's destined to be, quote, his king one day, um, who doesn't take any of this seriously. Like, right. of course I, he's going to be pissed with this. <laughs> I mean, this is this is not unlike those... <laughs> we're going to get into this a lot, especially because I believe we're going to go through almost every single Disney movie with a villain at some point. Um <laughs> It's it's pretty likely. There's it's inevitable. So many of them are queer coded. Oh yeah, God, I cannot wait till we get to do the Great Mouse Detective. I haven't seen that one. <gasps> that that is actually one. Uh, Hayden, I think Hayden. I think I remember you te- talking to me about this and that Hayden. being sort of like an inciting instant for me suggesting this show to you later on. It probably was Hayden, Lou. <laughs> Radigan and Basil of Baker Street are just bitter exes. <laughs> there is no way to read that movie that is not that. Because Basil doesn't give a shit. And Radigan keeps trying to impress him by putting him in more precarious situations. I'm over you, don't you see? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. We will get into that when we do that episode, which will have to happen soon because holy shit. But like, big queer mood. Um, <laughs> anyway. Scar. Scar. So, and, and you know, again, I think this is actually important to bring up the Disney villain oeuvre 
a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a lot of times the villains, especially the villains that have become part of the queer canon, both in and out of furry circles, because quite a few of the villains are furry, but like, whatever. Um, a lot of the villains, but A, are queer coded in some way, but also are put in situations where if you read their their inciting villainy incidents as a queer person, you're like, well, I've just had that fucking happen with my family. Or I know a family that did that to their to their queer kid or whatever. Um, like, I think about the fact that supposedly Triton and Ursula are supposed to be brother and sister. And something happened there. Yeah, that's... um. <laughs> That's got to be an interesting Thanksgiving. Right? Well, it's like, again, a lot of times Disney villains tend to be outcasts who turn their anger inward and use their anger as power, which, quite honestly, is a very queer thing to do, which I think is why a lot of us attach to these Disney villains, because we have to put up with this shit anyway. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I think, uh, like, you you definitely see that in Scar. And that's oh. that's something I related to very heavily. Like, I'm not a furry, uh, and but I've, yeah, I sort fun. of under... <laughs> you keep trying to make me one. I'm uh, giving but you I a have persona. S- <laughs> we'll get into that at some point, I'm this sure. This is the perfect episode for it. Um... I've I've known sort of like at some point that uh, this is the movie that created a thousand furries or whatever like yeah dude it's there are about there are many pieces of media but there are like four or five very important ones um, it's Disney's Robin Hood that's Disney's that's the, the Lion other King. one right so Disney's Robin Hood Disney's Lion King those are the Balto. two I know about Balto was one as well. Don't know that one. Oh, Balto? Like, it was a... The story is not the actual story of what happened, of course, because it's a cartoon. Mm. But it's about wolves in 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 Alaska, or the Yukon, during... Um, I forget what fucking... Like, tuberculosis, or whatever. Like, it, it's about delivering medicine. Um, but it's one of the ones that created a lot of, especially wolf furries. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Um... But yeah, so it is It is the movie that launched a thousand furry careers and a thousand furry crushes. But uh, yeah, even even slightly separated from that, I, like, I read so much into Scar. Yep. On, on, this, on this reviewing, just like, the time and thought he puts into everything, and like, he's constantly, here, here's another, um very queer thing to do he's constantly making jokes that would undermine his whole entire life if anyone took him seriously yes that's (laughs) that's such an aggressively queer mood right (laughs) he uses humor as protection and humor as defense in a way that is incredibly queer I mean, yeah, it's just not terribly far removed from stuff like, we're here, we're queer, and we're full of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, um, he, he's doing stuff like joking about, uh, oh, wouldn't it be awful if something happened to Simba? Oh, yes. Like, it's like the same thing as like going home and being like, yeah, those gays are really acting up again, huh? <laughs> like, it, it is. I think it's actually, it is more akin to when we as queer people just like go, Ugh, fucking straights. <laughs> uh, or anything like that, right? Because it's like, yeah, he's using that humor where it's actually his opinion, but he's, it's sarcasm. He's using sarcasm as this like, gentle shield and disney has always thought of sarcasm as very queer which to be fair it is it they're not <laughs> when, wrong when you exist in a world that doesn't fully appreciate you it's hard to take anything seriously that is about interacting with that world right like he is un he is un what's what i want he is unsarcastic when he is talking about his plan to like the hyenas or things like that but he is a hundred percent just dripping with sarcasm when he's talking to Simba or, or or Mufasa or anyone else. And you know what? I get that disdain for the straight world. <laughs> it's so relatable. I, and I mean, not to come back to this too hard, but like one thing that really jumped out at me on this viewing was the. Uh, the scene where Mufasa's teaching Simba about the stars and he's like, if you look up there, all of the great leaders, all of the specifically great leaders are in the stars. And if you're ever feeling sad, just remember, I'm 100% going to be up there as one of the greats. Mm-hmm. Like, dude. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a very sort of like straight masculine, like, I already know I'm good. Yeah, like, dang. It, I, I know you're trying to, like, make a connection here, and fine, but tone that yeah, ego it, down just a touch. Yeah, there is a thing that I think we don't talk about a lot with The Lion King, because it is um, often just, just, you know, seen as a well-loved children's movie. And that is, there's a certain amount of arrogance, and quite honestly, much like a lot of Disney films, a certain amount of imperialism that is pushed as positive. Disney really likes uh, royalty. Yes. Disney really likes royalty, a thing which, historically speaking, is almost always extremely problematic. <laughs> it's true. And it comes from the fact that Disney's, like the bones of Disney's entire uva i'm gonna keep saying that word because it's fun to mispronounce um started from the fact that in the 20 in the 30s during the great depression people went to films purely as an escapist thing um and a lot of those films a lot of the the stars that would then do like really you know intense acting roles a lot of their extra films extra films a lot of their other films were about like rich people being rich because it was just like it was a fantasy during the 30s and look are there problematic elements to that yes do i also understand the need to just like tune the fuck out especially during times of high stress absolutely <laughs> so like i don't want i don't want to fault the 
the want of an audience to see a movie like that. I like I like watching movies that feature stuff like that sometimes. It's fine. But Disney made an entire career off of making sure that the status quo was preserved. <laughs> right. That's aggressively sort of the message of this movie is that, uh, you know, someone with a different leadership style um oh actually here's here's a great point to bring it up the hyenas yep under under mufasa's rule um i mean they're eating most of their subjects which you know what that that's i'm not gonna say that's fine but like, there is an interesting reading that one could do in this movie that equates not just Scar, but the hyenas to insert marginalized group here. The hyenas are given shit. Like, they the hyenas don't, deserve they to don't revolt, to honestly. They don't get to participate in society. It's the actually the why animals I, being I, eaten and the lions get to participate in society, but... A carnivore that isn't the lions isn't allowed to participate. Exactly. And quite honestly, I actually really like the fact... What I like about the ending of The Lion King is that Scar is... Like, look, we've been talking about how we like Scar. Scar is also a fucking, like, fascist tyrant, so he's not good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No. Like, we can take what we want from Scar, but, like, Scar is also a villain and, like, should not be in power but again anyway (laughs) when the hyenas find out that scar was fucking them over too and just using them which is actually a really interesting take on the idea of like even within marginalized groups the fact that there are power dynamics yes um they devour him and quite honestly if anyone in that movie deserves to revolt it's the hyenas yeah, the hyenas are uh... are doing nothing wrong. They are doing exactly what they need to do. They need to survive. And no one is supporting them. And they meet this charismatic leader who will support them. <laughs> sort of. He claims to, right? Uh, um, uh, and... Quid pro quo. Yes. Ugh. Mm. Do I get to just read the entire lyrics of Be Prepared at some point? Because I don't it's... know, because I already have them pulled up. <laughs> Oh, there. The it's, let's get into be prepared. Yes, because this um, this relates to the hyenas as well. I never thought hyenas essential. They're crude and unspeakably plain, but maybe they've a glimmer of potential if aligned to my vision and brain. Which, like, right there, defines Scar so perfectly. <laughs> Disney and very specifically Alan Menken um, and also like was Alan Menken the one who wrote the lyrics? No, Tim Rice wrote the lyrics for this. Sorry. Disney during their renaissance and a little bit after had I think some of the best lyrics that have ever been written for musicals because they found perfect ways to encapsulate characters in like three or four lines and that's hard to do. I mean we can't ignore the fact that Be Prepared is just a good song that is sung very well it is like there's an energy to it um 
the music the, is really catchy. The what I love about the music, and there is a video I watched recently about like a comparison between this and the more recent one, which we will get into. Uh, but um, talking about the way that Tim Rice and Elton John used the motif of the music to make sure that even when we moved into our villain song, it still felt cohesive because we start with our big uh, song with the chance. We start with the circle of life and then we have a really upbeat number with, I just can't wait to be King. Yeah. So be prepared is our first non upbeat number, but we still get a lot of the same orchestration tropes. Like, you know, this entire soundtrack does crib from, from different sort of African beats, uh, African uh, rhythm styles, and that's a whole kettle of fish. But like, I, it is it is doing its best to borrow nicely for at least some of this stuff. Um, all critiques welcome. <laughs> yes, but we get this song that feels like a maladapted version of "I Just Can't Wait to Be King." Yes, it is. It, does, it is. It's... It is upbeat. Still, we are not into the slow song yet. That's "Can You Feel the Love Tonight," um, and it's this. It honestly pulls a lot from the same visuals in the sense that Scar also takes a lot of it to jump around the scene. Well, um, both of them are like the climactic moment of both of these songs. Is Simba is rising up on like this tower of animals beneath him, lifting him up. The exact same is true of Scar. Like yes. he's he's on a literal mountain, but mm-hmm. you still see all of the hyenas surrounding him, and he's this central figure. They're paralleled very cleanly, and I think it's all yes, uh, and it's also worth bringing bringing to the forefront here that a lot of the imagery from the from the scene for be prepared is pulled from Nazi propaganda. Oh, it's highly fascist. Like it's very triumph of the will, and that's on purpose. And again, Scar is not a good person (laughs) i don't want to like conflate the two and this is one of the things that's worth talking about in this and all of our other podcast episodes is that us as queers relating to villains does not mean the villains are necessarily in the right (laughs) yes and it doesn't mean that we should use them as specific like moral guides but when we are also considered to be the villains sometimes we have to take solace in this shit (laughs) right and I think there's definitely a very, a very real reaction um, to like if you're pushed down, your impulse is to rise up, mm-hmm. or 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 it can't be. There, different people react in different ways, but the the thought of taking it all back and getting your just dues at any cost, even if you have to push other people down to do so. Yep. That's not unrealistic. That happens. It absolutely happens. And I think Scar... And like, I think as... Go ahead. As a queer person, it's something that I have to constantly be aware of, like in my own relationships, is I don't want to become the type of shitty person that made me, you know? Yes, exactly. And it's very easy to do that, especially when the shitty person that made you makes you feel like you have to be on the attack just to survive. Yeah. Um, And I think in Scar, we see that going toxic and that going 
into a space that like is unhealthy for for him and for everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Like he's not helping the hyenas; he's just using them. And that's something that happens in the queer community too. I like to read this with a queer theory lens. Like there are scars in the queer community that we have to call out, <laughs> you know? Uh, so let's, let's, let's start. Let's, let's move on lyrically. Um, I'm sorry. I can't not sing this fucking song. <laughs> it's just, I, I love it. It's just, Oh, it's, it's a good as, song. I, I, as a theater kid, Right. The reason I love this song, the reason I love this song so much as someone who can sing like who's this song is in my like range in musical theater. There are the idea of an actor's musical, a singer's musical and a dancer's musical. Um, And that kind of means what you think it means. But basically, it's which of those three skills are more important to that show. Uh, An actor's musical may be able to, like, take some of the you don't have to have the strongest singers. You need to have people that can, like, carry a melody and act through it, but it's more about acting through the song than just, like, belting a song out. Right. This song is an actor's song. Jeremy Irons is not, like, a super trained singer, and for the most part, he does a very sort of, like, Rex Harrison and My Fair Lady uh, tonal speaking thing. He sings, but it's very it's very limited, right? Right. But they he... also give him some of the most wonderfully queer language, in my atten- in my opinion. He reads everyone to filth in this song. <laughs> the the queerest like ten frames in this movie are when he sings the line, uh, "Be prepared for sensational news." Sensational One, news. Sensational, very queer word. Yes. Um, also, but just, like, just like he gives this look and like drops a shoulder and like swings out from behind a rock right it it... (sighs) to say that there are no links between scar and like dr frankenfurter would be a lie (laughs) the opening sung lyric is also like a perfect read it's just like i know that your powers of retention are as wet as a warthog's backside but thick as you are, pay attention. My words are a matter of pride. Which, like, he gets in a pun. <laughs> like, he gets in wordplay. <laughs> he reads the hyenas to filth for being dumb. Like, it's a very queer four lines. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, like, later, he, like, who else? God damn it. At some point, he does use the word, um, right. Of course, quid pro quo, you're expected to take certain duties on board. Like, first off, unless you're a lawyer, quid pro quo is a gay thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that, like, gentle obfuscation of trying to be very Oscar Wilde that, like, very classic gay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's He is extremely dramatic. This is... I mean, this is hamlet the furry musical but mm-hmm. with with, um, with with bits of kimba the white lion oh yeah there's there's a lot about kimba the white lion i haven't looked into that much specifically but um, well and also what i love about this too right is in the very final iteration of the chorus we have 
a juxtaposition of two different thoughts at the same time because we get the the entirety of be prepared is scar convincing the hyenas to help him overthrow mufasa right the hyenas are going to help uh start a stampede so that way mufasa dies sorry fucking spoiler alert uh (laughs) but so i I imagine they're also there as sort of a uh plausible deniability well a perpetual backup to him uh as he asserts power just so that there's no challengers Oh, absolutely. All the hyenas getting together. Like, you have a whole army. So, in the final verse, in the final iteration of the chorus, Scar sings. I'm not going to sing this whole thing because I'd have to, like, really belt it. But, like, be prepared for the coup of the century. Prepare for the murkiest scam. Meticulous planning. Tenacity spanning decades. Sorry. In the song, they have him sing the word decades in a really weird way, but it's tenacity spanning decades of denial is simply while I'll be king undisputed, respected, saluted, and seen for the wonder I am. Yes, my teeth and ambitions are bared. Be prepared. Meanwhile, the hyenas in the background are singing, we'll have food, lots of food, we repeat endless meat. (laughs) Which also gets to the idea that, like, Scar is using people, like, using a whole group of people who just need to have food. Well, there's there's really two types of Disney songs, and this one, uh, this one sort of is both of them, but there's the, there's the Disney song that other people hear, and the Disney song that is only in the character's head. Yes. And generally, like... The only difference between them is whether or not anyone's reacting to the song. Mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely, this is definitely one of those songs that sort of blurs that line. Well, because by the end of it, Scar is singing to himself. He is convinced yes. the, the hyenas, and now he's like, this is perfectly ethical. Now like, he's just doing his victory lap. Right, exactly. He's flexing. He's flexing. Um, So... Man, I just love Scar. <laughs> the end. Be Prepared is a a fantastic song. Be Prepared um, is one of the best Disney villain songs. It's not my favorite, but it's in the top three. Mm. Uh, and believe me, we will get to all of those <laughs> because I have some very important thoughts. Uh, but I also have some fucking notes on a very <laughs> specific thing. And that is the 2019 Lion King movie. So this I have not seen. I haven't either. And I don't think I need to. And I will tell you the the reasons why. Here's my first problem. Disney has been doing this, like, remake our old properties, more or less, to keep the copyright on them. Yeah, that seems to be the main incentive. Uh, They're not doing all of the... Not all of them are at risk of running out of copyright yet, but they they seem to be on a roll with yes. that in mind. It is a safe bet because they know that these are properties people like. And they also trade in this idea of fake wokeness where like we tr- like they make these passes at updating the story, but it doesn't really update the story's politics so much as it just updates what it seems like the politics are. Uh, case in point, LeFou being the first queer character in Disney. Um, one, no, he's not. Two, 
Right. So, when, where? Yeah. One one frame, one second. It was dumb. So anyway, in the 2019 Lion King fuck up. Uh my first problem came when casting was announced. And I was just incensed by the fact that James Earl Jones was cast as Mufasa again. And before I get people telling me, but, you know, only he can play Mufasa, A, fucking no. There are other deep-voiced men that can play Mufasa. Are you saying that they couldn't get Idris Elbis? Idris Elba. Thank you. (laughs) Like, are you saying they couldn't get Idris Elba? Because the fact that Disney just recast the same person drops all pretense of them trying to make an updated version of the film. It is just a cash grab. And then, oh, and then, I heard the 2019 version of Be Prepared. And let me give you some some, some background here. In the original Lion King, Scar wants to be king because he's been denied his place in the family, effectively, right? Yes. In the new one, it's because Mufasa took his girl. Like, effectively, it becomes a fight over a woman. And then, when we get to the Be Prepared one, they also kind of coded the... The hyenas are a bit more POC-coded this time than last time. And I'm not saying they weren't before, but, like... Now it feels far more specific from what I've seen. And what's more, they turned Be Prepared into a fucking dirge. There's no joy to it. It's a slow, quiet, too much fucking, like, uh, brass song. Huh. Like, it sounds like a, it sounds like it should be in Phantom of the Opera. Which is, to me... Not a huge compliment. I mean, I guess I'm of the opinion that if you're going to remake these properties, then you should be doing something new with them. Right. It's and not, I'm, not I enough don't... to just tell the same story the same way. Yes. And I don't want to say that we cannot interpret Scar as slightly more angry and slightly more dark, right? But what Scar becomes is... Just like a toxic mask dude, and I just don't think that reads right. Especially when Mufasa's kind of a toxic mask dude. Yeah, that's kind of doubling down on that. Like there what what happens is, and especially from what I've heard from what I have heard, the rest of the movie kind of reduces some of the joy of the film a bit. Like, mm. especially because they went for super realistic lion figures. And guess what? Lions don't do very well in real life. Emote. <laughs> yeah, that's so kind of an important part of the yes. film. It, it's an incredibly important part. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> um, So, like, I just have a problem with the fact that they stripped the sort of energy out of scar right 
even if he was darker and more angry, he could still have energy. And he doesn't. He lacks energy. And it's not the actor's fault. Like, um, Scar is played in the modern one by Chiwetel Ejiofor, who, like, is a great actor. Like, he's been in a lot of stuff recently, and he's a fucking great actor. This is not his role. Mm. And I just think it does a disservice because at least in the Broadway version, because there's another thing we can compare this to, right? At least in the Broadway version, they go for camp Scar a bit harder. I'm not a big fan of the Broadway version of Scar either, to be quite honest, because I think it is also very one note. But I like it more. <laughs> mm. That's all. Those are the notes I have. <laughs> Those are the notes. I just... The notes I, I, are, you didn't need to change it this time. <laughs> you didn't need to... I'm just you, saying... You didn't need to do this. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, hear me out on this, right? And you might not know this person, and that's fine. Though you might. He's a singer, right? Mm. What if, instead of Chiwetel Ejiofor, they cast Billy Porter as Scar? Billy Porter, the man who went to the Emmys in the big velvet Uh, gown. yes, I know who you're speaking of. He's also on the show Pose. He also is a Broadway star. And I think he could still do a a more reserved, more... uh, even more calculating version of Scar, but still give it that like umph, that little like shoulder shimmy in the vocals. <laughs> I'm not asking for the same thing that 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 uh, Jeremy Irons did because I fully believe that, especially in musicals and in in and anything, interpretation is key. But it just it 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 would be akin to casting Gwyneth Paltrow as Ursula. You say that, but I kind of want to watch that movie now. A, she can't sing, and B, she just, just she doesn't have the energy for Ursula. It, it'd be a remarkable disaster. It would. It would be a remarkable fucking disaster. <laughs> I don't have anything more on Scar. I do have just tiny, tiny notes about... Uh, Timon and Pumbaa. Oh, definitely... oh, shit. Yeah, we didn't talk about fucking gay Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Uh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a disservice. No, yeah. Uh, they're clearly the odd couple here, but they're also clearly a couple here. Oh, yeah. Come on. And th- th- they go out, and um, Timon's the one who's, you know... Just a little bit more pushy, uh, a little overbearing sometimes, but also clearly deeply caring. Yes, but also very wor- very wary of the straights. Oh, yes. he is. I can see what's happening. They don't have a clue. <laughs> fall in I love, love and here's the bottom they're... line. Our trio's down to two. <laughs> the, the fact that these two start out the set-piece romantic song of this movie by shitting on the idea of romance between these two characters is fantastic. Oh, it's one of the best... It's one of the best choices this movie makes. Uh, (laughs) Allowing... Especially allowing the the other very gay character, Timon, which, hey, you cast Nathan Lane, you're gonna get it. Uh, (laughs) They have him dress up in drag. (laughs) I mean... Exactly, and they... 
The one good casting they did in the more recent one is they cast Billy Eichner as Timon, which is a very good choice. If you're going to do a modern manic gay. Mm. <laughs> I am the very model of a modern manic... <laughs> I, am a very mo- I am the very model of a manic homosexual. <laughs> I just wanted to, uh, to give a quick salute to those two. I they are worth it and the 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 gay couple that I just I would really love to see adopts a straight child out in the wild. Right, God. First off, doing God's work, and, and, adopting a and straight... teaches him <laughs> and teaches him to be a less toxic man. Sort right? of. Sort of. I mean like it good work. It takes a lot of work to have to raise a straight. Yeah, I can it it seems real rough. Seems very rough. Especially like during those awkward teen years. <laughs> I just... They feed him grubs, and all I think about is... This lion is malnourished. Yeah, but like, let's be honest. Sucking dick is slimy yet satisfying. <laughs> well... You got me there. Yeah, do you have a question for this one, by the way? I, I I had a question. It might end up not being a very good one, um, but we'll see. Uh, my question is, because they're lions, do you have any good pride stories? Oh. Um. Hmm. Which is a question I came up with, despite the fact that I don't really have any great ones myself. That's wonderful. Um, you know... I have gone to Pride very infrequently, and it's not because I have something against Pride. I know that Pride can be a very hotly debated topic in the queer community because I know many people that like don't understand why we still do Pride, and quite honestly, we still kind of need to do Pride. But mm. I will say, <laughs> I'm not going to give a, my, a, a great Pride moment because I, I want to think that every day I'm, I'm living my best Pride life. Right. Pride shouldn't be a month. Pride should be all the time. But I do want to recommend one of my favorite pieces of comedy about a pride parade. Okay. It's not by a straight, it's not by a gay person, but it's by one of my favorite stand-up comedians. His name is Josh Gondelman. And on his album, Physical Whisper, Good he, name. Talk, he talks about how... At the time, I think he recorded in the mid 2010s. So, like in the slightly early 2010s, the Boston St. Patrick's Day parade refused to allow for a gay St. Patrick's float to uh, be part of it because Boston's fucking wild. Uh, hey, Straight Pride is this month, isn't it? Straight Pride is never. I want to go. Can we go? No. Please. For what? They're going to walk into the ocean. I want to watch it happen. That's fair. I thought Straight Pride Parade was happening on the same day as the Pride Parade. Oh, no. It was uh, a later time. I'd have oh. to look into the details, but it's happening here. Well, anyway. So, in this bit, he talks about how... First off, one of my favorite jokes, which is... So, they decide that there will be a gay St. Patrick's Day Parade, but it has to happen 30 minutes after the the regular St. Patrick's Day Parade... 
wherein Josh Gondelman then says, and I don't know what's more homophobic than being worried about being butt fucked by a parade. (laughs) 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 But he talks about how like it was the experience was watching a parade, waiting 30 minutes and then seeing a much better parade. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course. So that's all. I just, I think in general, Pride is great, and I really appreciate the fact that we have Pride Month every every year to talk about stuff. Um, I also really appreciate Queer Wrath Month becoming a nice meme. I haven't seen that meme. Oh, it's the probably because it, I'm not on social media anywhere. That's but. okay. Uh, it's just a thing that has been. Um, I think it was Mia Koopa at Mia Koopa on Twitter, who's a, a great a great person, queer person on on online. Um, who claimed that July, since June is Pride Month, July is wrath mo- is queer wrath month. <laughs> you know what? I'm here for that. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know why we stop at July, but I sure, let's do it. Look again, Pride should be all year, and queer wrath can be all year. <laughs> yes. Okay, so maybe not specifically a Pride story, but do you have any good sort of like queer stories that you lo- that you feel proud of? I mean, the only the only thing I was really thinking about on this one was uh, this is this is my second year up in Boston. Yes. Uh, not to not to give away too much about myself. Don't we want both live in Boston? We're friends. Fans hunting us down. Um, yes, but... all five of them. But it was it was really interesting going to Pride uh, coming from Arkansas, which um, does Arkansas as, even have a Pride? One one of our mutual friends, uh, he may have told you this story as well, but he he once told me the story about how he went to Pride in Arkansas uh, for his first Pride, and his cover with his family was that he was going to the Cheese Dip Festival. Which is on the same day and draws a larger crowd. I mean, look, here's the thing, though. Cheese is pretty gay. <laughs> I... A good cheese dip. I don't know if I'm going to ride with you on that one. You don't think that cheese dip is pretty gay? I don't know. Is is cheese dip gay? I... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Is it, is it gay? In the sense that I know a lot of queers who really like cheese, maybe. Look, if anything, dip is pansexual. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but and, yeah, and sometimes it was... if it's just your dip and no one else is sharing it, it's Polly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we have it, folks. Um, but yeah, it, it's just it's been a wild experience. I went to Pride last year and then this year i'm actually with a company that had a pride float so i i actually walked in the parade nice i i will say i've heard some of like the different arguments about pride and i understand where those are coming from but as like the the southern queer boy who um who only really came out to family like a year ago mm-hmm. it's there is an element of excitement there. There's there's getting caught up in stuff. There and is. There is. That, and I think... I'm not... I don't go out and, like, 
I don't wear like rainbow flags all the time. I'm not just an enthusiastic person in general, but um, it really was fun to be out there and part of it. That's good. I'm glad you had fun. Mm. Um, I think it can be really easy <laughs> to get caught up in the the very real problems that come with with pride. Sometimes I think. Uh, you know, as as you sort of alluded to, and we won't talk about this for too long, but like, you know, pride sometimes can still be very cis white and male. Oh, yes. Um, and I fully agree that there should be way, way more focus paid to a lot of other groups and not just dudes who look like the status quo but suck cock. Yeah. Um, but I think also like anything else um your mileage may vary and you can also really enjoy doing the thing and also want it to be better yes i think that's true of a lot of things i think uh this this may uh tag into a bigger conversation that um that we don't have to have today but um we shouldn't we shouldn't hate things just because they're not perfect yes we should we should we should allow ourselves to have incremental victories as opposed to big ones all at once i think so and that doesn't mean we shouldn't fight for the big ones all at once but if we can take a small win we should take small wins we we can take small wins we can uh celebrate that and then we can immediately start working on the bigger win. the next thing yeah yeah like I think it is very easy as someone who actually has had to work on this as their own, just like in their own life where like, mm. I'm really bad at setting uh, attainable smaller goals to reach a larger goal. I think sometimes we can, in the queer community, we can lose the forest for the trees, not in the sense that the complaints around pride from other, from other queer uh, section of the queer community are invalid. They're very valid. But that we also can just allow ourselves to appreciate pride for the space we have and then constantly work to make it a better space for everyone involved. And if that means that some people are angry with what pride is right now, I think that's fair. Their anger is valid. If you are like a trans person and you feel entirely unseen by the the pride in your city or or in general i think that's valid considering the fact that there are still some straight uh, there are still some queer dudes and queer women that do not understand trans issues <laughs> and that's just one of the many groups that like have perfectly valid reasons for having critiques about pride so anyway yeah. so anyway um to smoothly transition into uh weird news yes totally a smooth transition and smooth not at all and not this at all just transitioning yep we're, we're doing um, it right now so my wild news for today uh you know i like to collect weird headlines this one was actually sent to me by a friend who yes. knows i'm a fan of these uh the headline is as follows turkmenistan's leader does donuts next to flaming crater to yes. prove he's not dead. Yes. He did it next uh, to the fucking portal to hell. Yes. So uh, I kind of know this exactly story. That is what he did. And like, 
So yeah, what was so? Give me a bit this more is, context. This is from the Australia Broadcast Corporation. Yep. So abc.net.au. Yes. If you want to find the title for yourself, and I recommend you do look at the article because it features an image of this man handing a puppy to uh, Vladimir Putin, and it's clear neither of them has ever held a puppy before. <laughs> This, this is just basically a story about how this man um, and uh, Turkmenistan is a, a nation not known for uh, free press or free media. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of most of what anyone sees of this president is, uh, you know, state news and propaganda designed yes. to make him look good. There's stuff about him like getting three strikes in bowling or uh just three well three consecutive strikes and that was all they they showed but um and performing a rap song with his grandson i hate it it's so bad i love it i love everything about it um but yeah so what happened is he just hadn't shown up for a little while and a russian outlet i think was the first one to report on rumors that he had died (laughs) and these these continued for a little while and it had only been like a month since he had been seen but like i guess that is a long time for a head of state to just be gone without any notice it is a, a smidge of time yes and so he he decided that his his method of returning and proving he wasn't dead was to take a dune buggy out to the hell the hell's gate take a dune buggy out to the hell's gate which is just this giant crater that's been on fire for years and drive donuts around it and um i yeah here's the thing proves he's alive i I mean a it does and here's the thing. I appreciate a good piece of theater. <laughs> and like I have no knowledge of this man's policies and they're probably not great. So I don't want They're wanna, not I, fantastic. Yeah, I don't want to celebrate him. I want to celebrate the fact that that is a pretty a pretty baller way to be like I'm not fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> I it is much like a recent episode of my other podcast, Barking Points, where we talked about uh, the current like crown prince of Saudi Arabia wanting to build this city called Neom. And one of the things he wanted to do was have glow-in-the-dark beaches. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. That sounds like a cool fucking aesthetic. I don't want it there. I just want it. <laughs> right. It's like, mm. I don't want... I don't want to celebrate this person for doing this thing because he's also the leader of a country that where he's probably continuing to instill really bad policies. But like if someone cooler did that, holy shit. <laughs> I appreciate the hubris. Also, I just sent I you saw. a Yes, this is those two leaders holding the oh dog. Oh my god, no. Neither of them know how to hold a puppy. Neither of them has ever seen a puppy before. That puppy 
What is this like, furry? This furry meat. What is this furry meat? Shall I cook it? No. No, that poor puppy. But yeah, it's it's a wild story. I love wild stories. If it, it's a very 2019 story. Hey, it, if it, anyone wants to send me send me more stories, uh, uh, we can actually tweet this one out. We have social media now. We do. Holy shit! I'll be able to list social media at the end of this episode. Yeah, well, we're coming which, right up on it. Which is about where um, we are. So, before we get to the gay agenda, uh, if you want to find our podcast on social media, we have both a Twitter and a Mastodon account. Um, if you want to find us on Twitter, it is IODM Podcast. And if you want to find us on Mastodon, it is I only date monsters at monsterpit.net. I mostly run those. But I'm trying to get Hayden to like slip in there once in a while. I'm I'm going over and like looking at what you've written and yes. the replies and not actually posting myself. That's okay. Um, I still think you would like Mastodon way more than Twitter, just for like your own personal use. Mm. It's very queer, at least the spaces I I, I roll in. Very good queer. Um, I'm always here for good queer. And it's if, just the time investment of getting caught up in social media. That's totally fair. Uh, along with that, if you would like to follow me on social media, I am at Lunastopheles, both on Twitter and on and on Mastodon at Snoutsonline. The spelling for that is L-U-N-O-S-T-O-P-H-I-L-E-S. I won't be spelling it again. We'll list it in show notes. It will be in the show notes. You can find me there. But, like, you can do it. I believe in you. And if you want to follow me, assemble all of the hints from the this and all future episodes to figure out my exact address and watch quietly from a distance. Ah, uh, yes. It's a full ARG. <laughs> um, yeah, and you can also email us at... Yes, you can... I only date monsters at Gmail. Yes, I only date monsters at gmail.com. You can email us just saying that you like the show. You can ask us a question. Um, if it's something I will check the email quite more frequently than I do the the social meds. That's fair. You're like the Ann Chazinski of this group. There's a podcast I listen to called uh, there's no uh, there's a podcast I listen to called No Such Thing as a Fish which is the people who collect all the facts for QI, just listing facts that they couldn't put on the show. <laughs> uh, Interesting. <laughs> it's a very it's a very fun little podcast, and one of the members of the show doesn't have social media, so when they ever ask her her sh- social media, she just lists the email for, <laughs> for No Such Thing as a Fish. So, like, there you go. There you go. Yeah, and um, we're on most uh, major podcast platforms now, if you want to... We are. Follow us. Rate or review on any of those. Follow us. Yeah. Um, leave a nice review on iTunes. It really helps us. I know everyone says that, but it literally does. And quite honestly, if we want the queer revolution, we should be at the top of every single podcast list. <laughs> Self-help, sex and relationship, sports. <laughs> I have us listed under humor, but that's only because I wasn't sure if we were... We're mostly, it's mostly humor. 
Yeah, I don't know if we should be in the religion category, but maybe. I mean, at some point we'll probably talk about fucking angels. Talk about fucking uh, the devil for sure. Oh, yeah, we will. Um, (laughs) So, Lou. (laughs) Yes. What's next on the gay agenda? You know what? Next on the gay agenda is going to be something kind of fun. Uh, Not that these haven't been fun, but because there will be... I like to think they're all kind of fun. They are, but there will be an element of... uh, a different element to this one because this coming Saturday I will be playing in a one-shot-ish game that Hayden is running set in the Pulp Cthulhu universe. So we are going to talk about the the, the broad category of eldritch monsters. Oh, we're going to get deep into some Lovecraft. I have well, notes. <laughs> here, We are going to get deep into eldritch stuff. I have some very strong opinions, which I think all of us do. But I also have some strong opinions on why lo- the tropes that Lovecraft built are more interesting in other people's hands. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll... Plus, there are, have... words, there are words to be said. <laughs> Plus, I have some recommendations for some great Eldritch, but not Lovecraftian pieces of media. Ooh. Yeah. It'll be great. It'll be wonderful. It'll be fun. Um, some eldritch monstrosities so with that we don't have a tagline yet yeah with that hey we've been i only date monsters thank you so much for listening and yeah thanks as we say every week them's the orcs (laughs) okay the the outro music is definitely I mean, I can talk about that for six hours straight. (laughs) No, you can't. You can't talk about anything for six hours straight. I can talk about it for six hours queer. Yes, there we go.